The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. It's the basis for that, the last part of Romans 8. For I am persuaded that nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. We're more than conquerors through Him. Thank you for being here with us on this first Sunday of 2015. And Happy New Year to you. Let's open our minds and our Bible, if you will. It's one of the easiest books in the Bible to find the book of Genesis, and we're going to look for just a moment at a verse that you probably have never paid any attention to, but I hope after today you'll hold on to it. Chapter 41 of Genesis, you may be aware of the fact that from the chapter 36 all the way to the end of the book in chapter 50, it's a story of the life of Joseph, and here is one verse out of his life I want to fix our minds around this morning. Genesis 41, verse 51, the Bible says, Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, M-A-N-A-S-S-E-H, and said, the reason I've given this name to my son, it is because God has made me forget all my trouble, my hurt, my pain, and all my father's household. Look at it again, that God has made me forget all my trouble. An old mystic once prayed, Lord, help me to remember the things I ought not to forget, and to forget the things ought not to remember. Now, I hope you'll remember that prayer. Lord, help me to remember the things I ought not to forget. There are some things you ought not to forget. Your wife's birthday, your anniversary date, or like the psalmist said, Psalm 103, you remember? Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and what? Forget not all his benefits. We ought not to forget the blessings of the Lord. But there's, and sometimes we envy people with a good memory. You know what I'm talking about? Maybe in school there were certain students that they just seemed like they could just open the book and all those dates and facts would just lodge in their mind, never to be forgotten. We envy people with good memories. It is said in the history of Athens, Greece, that When Themistocles was living there, he could name first and last name 20,000 residents in Athens, Greece. Now that's an amazing thing when sometimes we can't even remember our next door neighbor's name. 20,000 people. You musicians know Toscanini, the great conductor, wasn't nearly as good as Paula Cornegie, but Toscanini, the great conductor, We're told that he could look at a musical score 
and after only a few moments could completely master it to where he could conduct an entire symphony orchestra without missing a beat. An amazing faculty for memory. I read a while back in Reader's Digest, a lady who had graduated from Harvard that did not even give her name, but here was what it did say. She had such a gift of memory that she could look at a piece of poetry for just a few moments and thereafter could recite it completely as if that were not enough. She could do it frontwards or backwards. Woo! Now you wouldn't be blown away if I sat up here and recited a Russian poem backwards. I realize that. But the ability to do that is what's astounding. And the gift of memory. Now, it is true that it's a blessing from God to have a wonderful gift of memory. But I want to suggest to you today, at the beginning of 2015, a good forgettery is even more valuable sometimes. You know what I mean? We could learn from our children. You know, we adults get in an argument and we don't get over it for 20 years. Children after school get in a fight out of the playground and they say, I hate you, I'll never speak to you as long as I live. And the next day they're walking to school together. What happened? They have a good forgettery. Children can forget a lot easier than we adults can. Now listen to me carefully. On this beginning of the new year, I don't know any better resolution some of us could make than Lord help me to forget the things I ought not to remember. Joseph named his son Manasseh. The Hebrew word for forgetting is M-A-N-A-S-S-E-H. And so he wanted God to keep before him, and thereby he named his son. So every time he called that little boy's name, it reminded him of all the harm that had been done, but God had made him forget it. We'll come to that again in just a moment. Let me suggest to you four quick things that I hope you and I on this first Sunday of the new year can remember to forget. Number one, our past sins. Committed, confessed, forgiven. Otherwise, we're going to be crippled. Now, don't hear me say, uh, you know, forget all the wrong you've ever done. We won't ever forget that unless we lose our mind. But you don't have to go into 2015 weighted down, feeling guilty for all the wrong you did last year. Why? Because what the Bible teaches. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and to just to forgive us and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness. The Bible, one of the great truths of the Bible and the Christian faith, and if you're here today and not a Christian, listen to me carefully. When you become a Christian and you make Jesus Christ Lord of your life, he takes every wrong you've ever done and buries them in the sea of his what? Forgetfulness never to hold them against us anymore. Elsewhere, the Bible says, 
He removes them as far as the east is from the west. I don't know how far that is, but it means you ain't never going to hear about it no more. Sometimes people talk about Judgment Day as if we're going to one day stand before God and be judged for all the bad things we've done. That's foolishness, dear friend. The Bible says in Romans 8, 1, there's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God will never dig up old bones and throw them in your face and say, do you remember what you did? God has a good forgetter. And when our sins have been, even though it's wrong to commit them, when we have confessed them and been forgiven of them, the most sensible thing you can do is move on. The devil would, if he could, get you and me to commit the sin. But then once we've committed it, then and been confessed it and been forgiven, then he wants us to hold on to the, the guilt and the agony of all the guilt we have. Now, it's very easy for that to happen, but let me say to you, it is a very unhealthy thing to go into this new year weighted down with the remembrance of all the wrong we've done. It's wrong to do it, but if I've done it, I've been convicted of it, I've confessed it, God has forgiven, and he will never again hold it against you anymore. That's good news, and everybody needs that. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I can promise you on the authority of the Bible that if you will commit your life to Jesus Christ, every sin you've ever committed will be forgiven and removed, and you will never be held against you anymore. That's a part of the blessing of what God did for us in Christ on the cross and the grace that we just got through uh, singing about a moment ago. Now, the part that I want you to remember is this. You have to make a conscious effort to remember to forget your past sins. The best illustration I know of this in the Bible is David. You remember? He's the greatest king Israel ever had. He's called, in places in the scripture, a man after God's own heart. He wrote the 23rd Psalm and many of the other Psalms that are our favorites. But everything David did was not good. You remember that day? He's there, sees another woman who's not his wife at a distance. He lusts after her. He invites her to come into the king's chambers. They have sexual relations. She gets pregnant and bears an illegitimate child. David committed what we call today adultery, immoral sin. He broke the heart of God. He violated the Ten Commandments. He did something terrible, taking another man's wife, and more than that, having a child by her. And he tried to cover it. You remember what he did? He put her husband on the front line so he'd be killed. But then thinking everything was already taken care of, the prophet Nathan comes and points his finger at him and he says, you are the guilty person. And most Bible students believe that soon thereafter, David prayed that wonderful prayer in Psalm 51. You remember it begins in verse 1, Have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving tenderness. Blot out my transgressions against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil, David prayed. But then he prays in verse 10, 
create in me a clean heart, O God. And then I'll teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners will be converted to you. David, a man after God's own heart, the greatest king Israel ever had, who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Had a weak moment in his life, he committed terrible sin. But as far as we know, in Psalm 51, he confessed it. He was cleansed. He was forgiven. And he went to heaven, a forgiven sinner. Not because of the good he had done, but because of the grace of God we've sung about this morning. Now, I appeal to you to recognize, make a conscious effort this beginning of a new year. Remember to forget your past sins that have been confessed and forgiven. Don't be weighted down by them in this year. It doesn't mean we don't ever we forget the wrong we've done. No, we can learn lessons from that. So as we'll never do it again. But we don't have to go into this year weighted down by the heavy weight of guilt and remorse and sadness. But not just the past sins that we've committed. We need to forget those, but also I appeal to you to forget your past failures. Now, all failures are not sin. Sometimes we fail, but we've not committed any sin, but, so they're not equated. But sometimes we have failed. We failed the church. We failed God. We failed our families. We may fail our employer. We all know what it is to taste of failure. If you've ever tried to do anything much in your life, you know what it is to fail. I know what it is to fail. And we remember those things. But for God's sake today, remember to forget your past failures. Don't let them, the, the remembrance of that weight you down and say, well, I can never do anything. I can never amount to anything for God. I can never be any use to the church. No, that's a devil's lie, dear friend. One of my favorite Americans in history is Thomas Edison. As far as I can recall, he had held the patents for more inventions than anyone in our history. The incandescent light bulb that we're profiting from right now. On one occasion, Edison was in trying to invent the light bulb, but he failed. And one of his colleagues said, Mr. Edison, you failed. He said, no, I haven't failed. I now know 1,100 ways how not to invent a light bulb. I like that. I now know 1,100 ways how not to invent a light bulb. We all need to learn lessons from our failure, but not to be weighted down by them. A classic illustration of the Bible. David's an illustration of someone who, forgot, who remembered to forget his past sins. Peter, Simon Peter, is one who learned, teaches us how to forget our past failures. You remember? Every time the disciples are mentioned in the Bible, every time, Peter is always mentioned first. That inner circle that came with Jesus periodically, they're on the Mount of Transfiguration, Peter, James, and John, Peter's always in that inner circle. He was as close to Jesus as any one of the 12. And when Jesus is telling them what they're going to go through, when he's about to be crucified, Peter says this, typical of him, always speaking when he should be thinking. 
He said, Lord, everybody may betray you, but I never will. Deny you, but I never will. And Jesus looked him square in the face and said, Peter, before the cock crows twice, you'll deny me three times. I can't crow like a rooster, but if I could, boom, 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 three times. And Peter recognized. And then the Bible says something interesting there at the end of Matthew 7. After he had denied Jesus three times, the Bible says two things. One, it says just simply this. Jesus looked at Peter. That's all it said. He didn't spank him. He didn't reprimand him. He didn't fuss at him. He didn't kick him out of the apostolic band. He looked at him. You know what I'm talking about? If you don't, you didn't have a mama and a daddy like I did. My mama used to sing in the choir. My daddy couldn't sing, but mama could, and she was in the choir. I was a little boy, seven, eight, nine, ten years of age. I was saved. I was going to heaven. But sometime in church, I'd start talking and misbehaving. My mother, sitting right up here, long before laser was ever invented, riveted her eye on me. And as soon as I saw her looking at me, all she did was this. I knew. Straighten up. She looked at me. She didn't get out of the choir and come out there and tan my little behind. She just looked at me. And as Jesus looks at Peter, you can imagine it's a look of sadness. It's a look of heartache and heartbreak. The one closest to him is denied him three times. The second thing the Bible says is that Peter went out and wept bitterly. That's all it says. We don't know anything behind the scenes of what happened. We can only imagine. When Jesus looked at Peter and it was, if looks could have killed, he would have been dead. It was a look of compassion. It was a look of love. It was a look of forgiveness. It was a look of compassion. And Peter goes out and the Bible just simply says he wept bitterly. Now you would think when a man who denied Jesus three times and then it had that gazing look at him, you'd never hear from Peter again. He's failed. One of the top disciples, an utter failure at the time it counted most, just before the crucifixion, he bails out. But he didn't quit. Peter had a good forgettery. A few weeks later in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 14, Peter's standing up on the day of Pentecost and preaches the keynote sermon. If I gave it a title, I'd call it the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And he preaches a powerful sermon that Jesus is Lord. And when the invitation was given, 3,000 new converts are saved all by the grace of God, all what a man who had been a failure preached. I'm saying that to you to say that can happen to you and me. You might not ever preach to thousands of people, but you can be used of God even if you have failed in the past. Please understand, if the devil could, he would get in your mind and your thought processes and tell you you can't amount to anything. You failed financially. You failed in your marriage. 
You failed morally. You failed as a parent. You failed as a child. You failed in school. All these things, we've all known what they are. And he would say to you, me, anybody, now, you fail. You can't do anything. You're not worth anything. Dear friend, God can help us overcome and forget even our failures. So, on this first Sunday, remember to forget your past sins, confessed and forgiven. Remember to forget your past failures. We learn from them, we profit from them, but we don't have to repeat them. But thirdly, remember to forget your past successes. Hear me. I'm grateful for the blessings God's given to every one of us, and we're all recipients of that. I'm grateful for his collective blessings to this church. Very few churches have ever had one pastor for 35 years and had the record you've had. Very few churches worship in a beautiful building like we worship in this morning. Very few people have had the blessings of God that are poured out upon them like God's poured out upon First Baptist Church Pelham. And he's not through blessing us yet. God is still in control. But what we must be careful of, that, we're not, that we forget our past successes. If adversity has slain its thousands, success has slain 10,000. Every one of us know today individual persons who at one day were powerful for God. One day had a great influence. They became successful. And it went to their head and they plummeted downward. Sometimes people get a great amount of money. It's interesting when you read sometimes the stories of people who won the lottery. You say, oh, if I could just win that. Most of them end up in absolute tragedy. I think God knows if you can, he can trust you with a lot of money, and if he decides to do it, I'll rejoice with you. But if he doesn't, we can still serve God. But past successes. Listen, I thank God for every person that's been saved in your church in 2014. I thank God for the wonderful revival he gave us with Bob Pittman back in August. I thank God for the 90-year-old man who walked down this aisle right here and made a profession of faith in Christ. I think it said, it's about time that I come. And after 45 years, I guess it was time. I thank God for that. I thank God for how good he's been to you and to me. I thank God that I can tell you now, according to our financial office, you've given almost $65,000 to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. <clears throat> That's $13,000 ahead of our goal. Now, don't get the big head because we didn't meet our budget, so we need to recognize it's wonderful we've succeeded here, but forget the past successes that we've had lest they lull us into complacency. The greatest example we have of that in the Bible to me is the greatest Christian who lived this side of the apostle of Jesus, the apostle Paul. You remember after his dramatic conversion experience on the Damascus Road, when he's writing to the church at Philippi, he says in chapter three, 
that he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews, a member of the tribe of Benjamin, that he was studied at the feet of Gamaliel, which would be like having a degree from Harvard University. And he'd done all of this. But he goes on to say in verse 13, Not that I have already attained, but I press on toward the mark. The word for pressing on there is a word for hunting. Pursuing the prey, I press on toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, that I might lay hold on that for which he laid hold on me. Paul was saying, here's a man who wrote half our New Testament, who founded churches all over the Greco-Roman Empire, who was the most powerful influence for God in the first century, who had a dramatic conversion experience. But he said, I'm not satisfied. I'm not going to coast. I press on. We need to forget our past successes. Now, if you need a real memory prodder here, just push the rewind button and go back to when Auburn lost to Wisconsin and Alabama lost to Ohio State. Some people said it will never happen. It did happen. I hope, I'm glad both teams lost so we can weep with those that weep. We, we rejoice with those that rejoice. Now all of us, whoever you're for, well, what I'm saying is five Southeastern Conference football teams, boom, 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 all lost. Before that, people said we're the greatest conference in the nation. Maybe we are, but it didn't show up during the bowl games. Amen? Now, what am I saying? I'm not saying the season's over. I'm not saying we never win another championship. I'm saying we did not do it recently. And past successes, ever how many conference champions we've won or national titles we've won, it didn't suffice for the game that had to be played last week. Now, what am I saying? In your life, in my life, we need to forget our past sins. We need to forget our past failures. We need to forget our past successes. Let me appeal to you for one more thing, and it may be the most practical of all. Today, January the 4th, 2015, you and I need to forget our past hurts, H-U-R-T-S, our past pain, whatever word you want to use. People who've hurt you this last year, People who've deliberately done wrong to you. It may have been a, a spouse. It may have been a child. It may have been a parent. It may have been your best friend. We've all been hurt at times. Don't hold on to those things. Don't nurse those old grudges and just say, I'll show them. I'll show them. I'll just hold on to this and I'll really get them back. And the only one you're hurting is yourself. That's like trying to get rid of rats by sticking a stick of dynamite up to your chest. The only thing you do is kill yourself. And they, most time when we hold on to these old things, the only people that know it is we, us. Now what am I saying? God needs to help some of us to forget our past hurts. Now don't hear me say, it doesn't make any difference what people do to you. You just go ahead and smile and say, uh, please kick me. I'm a Christian. I won't kick back. I don't mean that at all. I'm just saying it's happened. It's in the past. 
You can't undo it any more than you put toothpaste back in the toothpaste tube. But what we can do is not just what happens to us, but how we respond to it. And that we're absolutely not going to permit past hurts to become an obsession with us. Somebody didn't speak to you in Sunday school this morning. Somebody got your parking place just as you tried to park this morning. Somebody mistreated you. Maybe somebody told a lie about you that was absolutely wrong. Not justifying any of that. But dear friend, we're responsible not for what happens to us, but how we respond to it. And as Christians, as Christians, we dare not hold on to the hurts, the pain, the trouble of the past. All it does is immobilize us for the challenges of the future. The perfect illustration of this is when, David, when uh, Joseph named that boy Manasseh. Most of the time, we give children's names on how euphonious they are, how they sound, or who granddaddy was, or who daddy was, or who our best friend was. And that's how we name most of our children. They didn't do it that way. Now, they gave funny names, but they gave names because they meant something. For instance, I, don't ever, I have never met a kid named Eliezer, but it's a name in the Bible. Now, who in the world today would give a child that name? I wouldn't. You wouldn't. They did them because of what it meant. Now, here, I've not ever met a child, a man anywhere named Manasseh. David, uh, Joseph named his son that. Why? Go back in the Bible, beginning in chapter 37. Joseph is 17 years old. His brothers, his father was Jacob, you know. His brothers were jealous of him because he was the youngest kid and his daddy showed favoritism to him. Mom and daddy, don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. If you've got a dozen kids, God have mercy on you. But if you've got ever, how many you've got? Don't show favoritism to anybody. Joseph, uh, Jacob did that. The brothers hated him for it. The Bible says they were filled with jealousy. They plotted to actually kill their own brother. Smear his blood on, a, on the coat of many colors and take it back and tell daddy that a wild animal had gotten a hold of him and killed him. Finally, one of them, Reuben, had more sense. said, let's just pitch him in the pit. They did, and some traveling gypsies, nobads, Ishmaelites, they're called in the Old Testament, came by and they sold their own brother as a slave. He ends up down in Egypt. There, he ends up befriended by his boss, Potiphar, but also befriended by Potiphar's wife. And she takes a liking to Joseph. And she actually says to him, you'll read about it in the book of Genesis, Come go to bed with me. I believe it's chapter 39, verse 6. Come go to bed with me. And here's a man, young man with all of his hormones kicking and all of a red-blooded man away from home. Nobody there that knew him. Boys and girls, when you hear everybody saying, everybody else is doing it, that's a devil's lie. Here's a young man who didn't do it. The Bible said he refused. He did the right thing. He refused sexual overtures from the boss's wife. Rather than God blessing him at the moment, 
he gets in trouble. A spurned woman turns on him and accuses him of trying to rape her. He's thrown in prison for something he didn't do. And in prison, he has the ability to interpret dreams. And one of his buddies there, he said, when you get out, remember me. But the Bible said when the butler got out, he forgot him. So here's a man, look at it now. His own brothers have plotted to kill him. Instead of that, they sell him into slavery. He goes down into Egypt, a foreign country. He's elevated by Potiphar. The wife accuses him of raping him. He's thrown in prison. His friend there forgets him. Here's what he's saying. I'm naming my boy Manasseh. Why? God has enabled me to forget all my trouble. Now, dear friend, here's a young man who's had more than his share of trouble. You're talking about what bad things happen to good people. As far as I know, there's absolutely nothing bad said about Joseph anywhere in the Bible. And yet, one heartache after another. And when he has his first child, he said, I'm going to name him something where I won't ever forget. I remember all the heartache, all the trouble my own brothers caused me. Now, what am I saying to you and to me? In this year, we need to do the best we can to remember to forget our hurts, our pain, people who've done us wrong. Remember the prayer of the old mystic, Lord, help me to remember the things I ought not to forget, but help me equally to forget the things I ought not to remember. Will you bow with me in prayer for just a moment? And with our heads bowed as you come to this moment, if you're here and you're already a Christian, Maybe in this hour of worship, the first Sunday of 2015, you need to say, Lord, there's some things I need to learn to forget, and I want to start right now. Whatever it is, past sins, past failures, past successes, past hurts, trouble. Ask God to help you not to go into 2015 crippled by being weighted down by the lingering memory of these disabling emotions. If you're here and you're not a Christian, I want to say to you, the same God who forgave David and forgave Peter and forgave Joseph will forgive you. The Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That means you. Right now, this morning, He will forgive you of every sin you ever committed. If you'll just write in your heart where it counts, you'll bow your head and say, Lord, today, first Sunday of this year, I want to be forgiven of my sin. I want to know when I die I'm going to heaven. And I want to do my best for live for you right now. That's your plea, prayer. When we sing in a moment, We'll meet you. Just come out right down to the front. With no embarrassment, no awkward questions. We'll rejoice with you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. 
thank you for these four Old Testament personalities who say to us, remember to forget and help us to profit from it. In your name we pray. Amen. Would you stand together with us? And as we do, Paul is going to lead us in our hymn, Only Trust Him. And as we sing the first stanza, you come right now. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.